Hello, my name is David Thompson from the Fraser Valley in British Columbia, and this is a message to the churches throughout Canada and throughout United States especially, but it applies to the churches around the world. I seek to speak prophetically what God, by his Spirit, is saying to the body of Christ in this particular time, and today is September the 9th, on Saturday of 2023. Now, what I have been doing recently is I have been giving a message before, just before I give this message, which is to people from any background from the whole world. And so I have one up there from last week called Evolution Delusion Solution. And this week it's going to be Evolution Delusion Solution version 2, and I don't know how many different titles I might use, but it is a broad introductory to people from whatever background they're from, whereas this now is specifically to the body of Christ. So I wanted to explain to those that are new, that have come to know the one true God for whom to know is life eternal through Jesus Christ. I want to explain to you how I do these messages. The Word of God says in 1 Peter 4.11, If any man speak, let him speak as the oracles of God. So that is what I will seek to do. I will seek to allow God by his Spirit to speak through me. There's another verse in Revelations 19.10 that says, Worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the spirit of prophecy. In other words, when we worship God in spirit and in truth, out of a pure heart, in great reverence and humility, we are filled with his spirit in an overflow that can result in utterances beyond ourselves that are coming from the spirit of God, in creative utterances. Sometimes it can come forth in a song, and it turns out to even come forth sometimes as a poem without us trying hardly. We only have a seed thought and the Spirit of God prompts us and we sing it out in the congregation. Someone else gets up and gives a word of exhortation. Another person gives a word of encouragement or, or a testimony. Another person prays out a prayer that has a word in the prayer for the body of Christ. Whatever it is. That's the way it was in the early church. This message is to seek to awaken the church to become everything it has been called to be in these last days because it is time to wake up as never before. Now, I'm explaining right now how I share these messages, so I don't want to get into that right at the moment. So I will seek to speak out of a heart set and a mindset of worship so that what comes forth from me will come forth from the Lord. Now, what I do to facilitate this is I cast lots to get the possibility of any two chapters from the Word of God using two independent random applications on the Internet. Most of the time I just use two, and sometimes one might not be working, then I use the other one, and there's a good number of them. I do that with great reverence before God, and I pray, pray in a very specific, reverent way over those applications that I may receive what God would 
by the casting of the lot through these applications give. So I received two chapters from these two independent applications that they would bear witness with each other that I may be able to perceive what the theme and the message is in those two passages that God is seeking to say to the body of Christ. And then with only a half an hour of meditating on those two chapters, I share, which is the case today after me doing the other message, which was 39 minutes this time, which is to the broad message that goes to those that have not come to know the one true eternal God. It's the good news. So I will be seeking to just share with you from the two chapters that I've received. I also seek for God to guide me to the right worship songs. I'm very particular about worship songs. I noticed today in a lot of the typical charismatic churches that they often sing almost the same songs or a group of maybe 10 songs and hardly more and a lot of the words in these songs don't have great meaning and depth. I mean, I could tell you what some of the songs are. Don't have a lot of meaning and depth, but what's the point? Uh, I can't believe the church can become so boring, and yet they can be the same people that are jumping up and down and dancing, and yet they're boring. There's no creativity. They don't move in the gifts of the Spirit in the church. It's all done at the front. This is not what the early church was like. This is not what the Word of God teaches. The Word of God wants every member in the body to be functioning in assembly. The effectual working in the measure of every part, the gifts of the Spirit, operate. That's what was happening in the early church. There was total liberty. You don't have to ask permission to use the mic. If God's Spirit is moving on you, you speak it out. Of course, there is an obvious time when God will move that way in the body for various ones to give words. And there's a time for prayer and a time for worship and so on. So I'm going to be sharing with you the song that I've received today and also the passages of Scripture that I received throughout the week because I'm just doing one message a week because I want it to be on video and it's a lot of work if I did it every day of the week it would take up an awful lot of time so I want to share that God is waking up the body of Christ it says gross darkness shall cover the earth but the glory of the Lord will rise on you in that chapter in Isaiah 60 it says arise and shine that is what God is calling us to do at this hour is to wake up out of our sleep and enter the destiny that God has called us to enter. And I want to encourage the body of Christ that we're living in a very serious time where there's obvious great impending judgments, great tragedies that can come upon nations because we're seeing the tares and the wheat as never before, corruption in high places. People that choose to believe a lie. As it says in the last days, God shall give them strong delusion to believe a lie that they might be damned, that loved not the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. It never brings lasting pleasure. It leaves you empty. It is a bait used by other powers of darkness to manipulate your life to destruction only thing that satisfies 
is a intimate indwelling relationship of communion with the one true eternal God, Yahweh the Almighty, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And in Jesus Christ, all the fullness of the Godhead dwells. The Father is in the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And so, I want to share with you that God is wanting churches to come together and repent across this nation of Canada and across the United States. This is more important than anything else to be delivered from the impending destruction of your nation, which is very obvious. you got to have yourself really buried in the sand somewhere not to see it. Or you're just watching the lying news media all the time and not other sources. I have really good links on both my websites at loverealize.com and ultimatemeaning.com to news that will give you the truth of what is going on. But the church needs to become all that God is calling us to be. You as an individual need to become all that God is calling you to be. And so he's calling churches to come together to fast and pray and to repent of condoning the gods of amusement, leadership, condoning watching hours of sports. It's an idol among many that stumbles many just like some are stumbled by drinking alcohol. And they spend hours and hours watching sports. I'm not saying that you can't watch sports once in a while, but when that becomes something that stumbles you and you spend hours doing that and you spend hardly any time in prayer and putting first the kingdom of God, you are deceived. You are asleep. And God is calling the church to repent of the gods of pleasure, of amusement, of materialism, of so many things that we put first before spending a life in prayer with him and seeking him. He's calling us to wake up. and He's calling us to come together and repent. And when we return from three days of fasting and prayer and repentance in our town, in our city, we return to never be in local assembly the way we used to be. The typical church has a pre-service prayer meeting with hardly any people attending. Why in the world would you have that? Why do you not make your church service a prayer meeting? Christ said that my house should be called the house of prayer. He is calling the body of Christ to assemble on our faces before God and to be more conscious of Christ in our midst, walking in our midst, than of the people at the front and the songs we're about to sing, etc., Spend an hour in prayer as the body of Christ. One prays out here, another prays out there. We all say amen. And then after that, there's worship. And there's a song. I would do it by the casting of Lot, about 10 songs or so, or whatever. And people then can move in the gifts of the Spirit and give a word. And there's a period where there's many people, maybe 10 to 20 people that give a word. And then the leadership speaks. And then after the leadership speaks, there's always a meal after every service because we're going to become community. And if people are clickish, which happens all the time in churches and they're not aware of it because they like talking to their friends, I'm 
then you cast lots so that you get a different person to have a meal with every time. And yeah, you can still have your dessert after and go with your friends and talk. But you learn to get to know one another in the body of Christ in fellowship with a meal after every church service. I've been to church services in the past where I know I went to a Russian church because I wanted to learn the Russian language at one time because my mother was Ukrainian and I wanted to take her there while she was alive. That church broke up here in the city where I am. But not because of division among themselves, but because the English church wanted them to integrate and give up their church. But anyhow, they always had a meal after every church service. Yeah. We need community. It's not hard if everyone brings paper plates and you bring a salad or something. You'll have a rich meal and you won't have a bunch of work after to clean up. You just throw the plates in the garbage. That should be happening all the time. There needs to be community. God's calling for a new order in the body of Christ that will not limit the fullness of the headship of Christ from inhabiting the local assembly. This is the hour to rise and fulfill John 17 and fulfill Ephesians 4 that we would come into the unity of the faith of the knowledge of the Son of God unto a mature man unto the fullness of the stature of Christ. Now I haven't got into the worship song, but we're going to sing a worship song that has meaning and depth, and you'll see how different it is than the typical songs in churches today. Open up the windows, let the light shine in. Open up the windows, let the light shine in. Well, that's all good and fine. But there's a lot more depth and meaning we need in our songs. In fact, congregations should be creating their own songs. People should be writing poems. They need to be encouraged to be creative in the gifts of the Spirit. And because no one moves in the gifts of the Spirit, because the leadership doesn't allow it, you're asleep. In the body of Christ, God, the headship of Christ, cannot come into the body in such a way that he gives more abundant honor unto the power part that lacks, so that there should be no schism in the body of Christ. Yes, that's the way it was, and what Paul said should be the case. When everyone's free to share in the gifts of the Spirit, God can pour more abundant honor onto someone that is not attracted to in the natural. To bring down the tendency of pride because contention comes by pride. It is what causes a denominative mindset and causes the hardness that causes division in local assemblies, and also in churches between themselves. So I want to share with you now the song that I have been led to, partly by the casting of love, but because I'm so fusty sometimes. It has to be on YouTube so you can put it on a projector, so that's why God always ends up leading me to the right song. So this is the one. I'm doing it from my website because I find that the coloring goes off with the chroma key background sometimes if the coloring is green. So here we are with this one. I'll just bring it up quickly here. One sec. Sometimes I don't get it right away, but we will get it. There it is, and I will minimize myself in a moment. It's going to go off.
Well, trim our fires burn.
What a wonderful song that is, eh? Beautiful song. A beautiful, beautiful, beautiful song. Hallelujah. So I want to share now what I received by the casting of Lot. And I just have to trust the Lord because it's something, you know, it's, I don't know what I'm going to share. But I'm going to share with you what I received by the casting of Lot and trust God by his spirit to speak through me out of a heart set and mindset of worship so that what I speak is coming from the Lord. This Monday I received Luke 19 <clears throat> and Revelation 12. In Luke 19 is revealed what hinders and negates the dwelling of God amidst his people and results in destruction. And in Revelations 12 is revealed what brings the dwelling of God among his people that brings deliverance and provision. Now what is amazing is that the next day, on Tuesday, I also, using a different application, most likely, received Luke 19 again. So God was really seeking to say something through Luke chapter 19. And so I do want to touch on what is in Luke 19. God is wanting us as his people to allow the fullness of his dwelling, as I mentioned earlier, in us as individuals, but also corporately. So in Luke 19, we have the story of Zacchaeus, who was a very short man, and he was wanting to see Christ. And of course, what happened is he climbed up the sycamore tree. And when Christ came by, he took note of him, and he was a tax collector. So people considered him to be a very despicable person because he was probably cheating and taking money for himself from everyone. And and also, um, you know, making them all very, you know, have a lot of loss, financial loss, working for the Roman government, a betrayer. Oh, you, you're, you know, you're, you're siding with the Roman government against the Jewish state that has been taken over by them. This was their attitude. And so what does Christ say? Maybe I can bring it up in the scriptures I did not turn to it, and I don't know what scripture I have here right now, but we will quickly go to uh, Luke chapter 19, and here we are in Luke chapter 19, actually, so that's good we're there, and we see what Christ said down here, and when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and saw him and said unto Zacchaeus, make haste and come down, for today I must abide at thy house, and he made haste and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all murmured, saying, that he is gone to be guest with a man that is a sinner. But what does Zacchaeus say? He says the following. Got to move this thing over. And Zacchaeus stood and said unto the Lord, Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have taken anything from any man by false accusation, I restore him fourfold. 
And Jesus said unto him, This day is salvation come to this house, for as much as he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man has come to seek and to save that which is lost. So he's telling them all there. You may think he's a sinner, but I see that he's a son of Abraham, and I've come to seek him because he was lost, and I'm going to restore him to a right relationship with God because I care for his life. Someone that was despised and rejected. And the same thing can happen in the church today. That someone comes in and they're dressed poorly, like a tramp or not very, they might look a bit rough or whatever, and people look down on them, oh, I mean, what kind of person's coming into our midst? What did James say? He said that you become judges because you have the people sitting at the front that are all dressed and wealthy business people, but the poor people, oh, you don't want to give them a front seat. They go way to the back because there's something wrong with their lives because look at how poor they are. What does God say to the church of Laodicea? You say you are rich and increased with goods and have need of nothing, and knowest not that thou art wretched and poor and blind and naked. And actually, in the spiritual dimension, the people at the front that are wealthy probably were in the spiritual dress naked and poor and blind and naked because of their self-righteous attitude towards those that tend to be suspicious despised in their midst and those that tend to be despised that enter into their midst from the general public. God is calling us to have his love and his compassion to reach the lost no matter how repugnant they may seem in the natural. This is what God is wanting in his people, is love. And then he describes after that It says, as they heard these things, he added and spake a parable. So this parable is related to what their reaction was to Zacchaeus. This is the reason God is giving this parable. And what is he saying in this parable? I wasn't planning to preach this, and I'm having a problem with the little software here bouncing around too easily, but we'll try to live with it. He said, therefore, a certain nobleman went into a far country to receive for himself a kingdom and to return. And he called his 10 servants and delivered them 10 pounds and said unto them, occupy till I come. But his citizens hated him and sent a message after him saying, we will not have this man to rule over us. And that's what happened to Christ. They said, crucify him. We will not have this man to be our king. But what did Pilate put up on the cross? The king of the Jews. And they said, take the sign down. We don't like that sign. He's not our king. Caesar's our king. We go on and we read this. And it came to pass that when he was returned, having received the kingdom, then he commanded these servants to be called unto him to whom he had given money, that he might know how much every man had gained. Then came the first, saying, Lord, 
thy pound hath gained ten pounds. And he said unto him, Well done, thou good servant, because thou hast been faithful in very little, have authority over ten cities. And the second came, saying, Lord, thy pound hath gained five pounds. And he said likewise to him, Be thou also over five cities. And another came, saying, Lord, behold, here is thy pound, which I have kept, laid up in a napkin, for I feared thee, because thou art an austere man, thou takest up that thou layest not down, and reapest that thou didst not sow. And he saith unto him, Out of thine own mouth will I judge thee. Thou wicked servant, thou knowest that I was an austere man, taking up that I laid not down, and reaping that I did not sow. Wherefore then gavest thou not my money into the bank that it that at my coming I might have required mine own with usury. And he said unto them that stood by, Take from him the pound, and give to him that hath ten pounds. And they said unto him, Lord, he hath ten pounds. For I say unto you that unto every one which hath shall be given, and from him that hath not even that he hath shall be taken away. And the reason there's a bit of space here before I continue to read is because i got to get the electronics of the software moving it down. For I say unto you that unto everyone which hath, okay, I read that, shall be given, and from him that hath not, even that he hath, shall be taken away. But those mine enemies, which would not, that I should reign over them, bring hither and slay before me. Speaking of those in the Antichrist system of the world that will not have Christ reign over them, they would rather choose Caesar. And the people that did not perceive God rightly were the ones that buried their treasure. They didn't take it out and use it because they were caught up in the temporal comforts of this world, the gods of amusement, the gods of pleasure, the gods of materialism. They refused to be willing to sacrifice the time in the kingdom of God to bear fruit in his name. They would come to church, but that's about it. They came to the prayer meeting. Oh, yes. They gave their thighs. They're very faithful in everything in the church activities, maybe even doing outreach. But they spent so much of their time just loving the temporal things of this world because they had a wrong perception of God being someone that would just accept them no matter how they lived their life. When God says we're to love him with all our heart and with all our being and all our strength, which means that we do not allow other things in our lives to control our lives that are temporal. Yes, God is austere. But his austereness is, his severeness is love. He is severe. He expects of us to love him. He commanded us to love him, not out of a 
wrong performance mindset like Cain, who perceived God as some dictator that required appeasement because he was unthankful for all the suffering that he was going through because of the fall, because of the curse, having to work by the sweat of his brow and all the other suffering in his own life, that he had this, he began to perceive God as some, someone distant, as an enigma, as some one that was all-powerful that you could only appease by performance. That is not the austereness I am talking about. I am talking about that you perceive God as severe, but it is a right perception of that severity being good because God loves us and has his best intentions. And so his counsel to the church of Laodicea that was burying their talents in the ground by false teachings that equate godliness with wealth when God says in his word that he's chosen the poor, rich, and heirs of the kingdom of God. Not to say that God can't bless people with riches if they are in a love relationship with him where their heart is not in the temporal things of this world and uses those things like Abraham for the things of, this, of the kingdom of God. Do you think Abraham was going around partying and spending time with pleasures of this life. He was a man of prayer. He was a man that walked with God and redeemed each moment. We're to redeem the time because the days are evil. And to the church of Laodicea, Christ is saying, don't buy into the false teaching that tells you you're rich and increased with goods and that equates godliness with, oh, God's going to prosper you. And oh, if you're materially wealthy that's what god wants he wants you to have lots of wealth why are you focused on that and why is your teaching more focused on material wealth than having a rich relationship with god that is unconditional god is calling the church to repent of laodicean false teachings that are contrary to the fear of god the deceive people and take them away from the genuine fear of God. That is what he's wanting. And so the church of Laodicea was called to buy them gold tried in the fire. In other words, I want to receive you, God, as severe in my life because you have your best intentions for me and you know the deception of my heart and the tendency for these things in my life and only you know how to purge them out of me so I will let myself be clay before the potter who's a skillful artificer. I will let myself be gold that is put in the fire till all the dross comes to the surface and is skimmed off through the trials that I go through so that my garments are white and spotless because I've come through great tribulation. What did Paul the Apostle say to the early church? That it was the will of God that they should go through tribulation to be purified. Then we're not bearing our talents in the things of this life. We are using our time. We are redeeming it out of a love relationship with God. We go on here. 
And what do we read? And when he had thus spoken, he went before, ascending up to Jerusalem, and it came to pass, when he was come nigh to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount called the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples, saying, Go ye into the village over against you, in the which at your entering ye shall find a colt tied, whereon yet never man sought. Loose him and bring him hither. And if any man ask you, Why do you loose him? Thus shall ye say unto him, Because the Lord hath need of him. And they that were sent went their way and found even as he had said. Now, what do you think, suppose would have happened if they said, but Lord, Lord, we can't do that because we're afraid. Because um, what will they say to us? Oh, Lord, we can't, we can't listen to you. We can't obey you. We, we're going to make an excuse. Lord, we, we're afraid of what might happen. The, the master might become really mad. We, we'll be... We'll be uh, having Roman soldiers ask for us. They'll crucify us because we tried to steal their donkey. So, Lord, we're afraid. We're, we're not going to do you well. No, they knew their Lord too well to know that when he told them to do something that was severe and that maybe he said it in an austere way to them, no, they knew too full, full well their Lord and Savior that he would have their best intentions in mind and that they could trust him even though they might be seeming to think they would be charged with that. You see, this theme runs through the chapter. And they said, Lord hath need of them, and they brought him to Jesus, and they cast their garments upon the colt, and they set Jesus thereon, and as he went, they spread their clothes in the way. And when he was come nigh, even now, at the descent of the Mount of Olives, the whole multitude of the disciples began to rejoice and praise God. I hope I can move this down. It really bounces. Um, began to rejoice and to praise God. With a loud voice from all the mighty works that they had seen saying, Blessed be the king that cometh in the name of the Lord, peace in heaven and glory in the highest. And some of the Pharisees, whoa, 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 from among the multitude said unto him, Master, rebuke thy disciples. There you have this self-righteous, Cain, idolatrous spirit that is merely religious, coming out again. Master, rebuke thy disciples. They're praising you like your God. And he answered and said unto them, I tell you that if these would hold their peace, the stones would immediately cry out. And when he was come near, he beheld the city and wept over it, saying, If thou had known even thou, at least in this thy day, the things which belong unto thy peace, but now they are hid from thine eyes. For the day shall come upon thee that thine enemies shall cast a trench about thee and compass thee round about and keep thee in on every side and shall lay thee even with the ground and thy children within thee and they shall not leave thee in thee one stone upon another because thou knewest not 
the time of thy visitation. And that city of Jerusalem was surrounded and they were in starvation and thousands of them were crucified because they said the blood of Christ would be upon their heads and indeed it came upon them because they said we will not have this man to rule over us. And he went into the temple and began to cast out them that sold therein and them that bought, saying unto them, It is written, My house is the house of prayer, but you have made it a den of thieves. Now we might not have money changers in the church today, but we are not making his house a house of prayer. And if we are to be those that know the time of his visitation, we must turn back to God and repent of the gods of amusement, of pleasure, of idleness, of materialism that is hard in our hearts so that there isn't love in our hearts for one another, so that we're, there's not hunger in our hearts. The hunger has been quenched by the loves of the world. Who are those that overcome? It says in Revelations, whoever drinks freely, it says whoever th thirsts, come and drink freely of the water of life. But if you're not thirsty, how can you drink of the water of life to overcome? Because the context then is talking about overcoming fear. The fearful go, the fearful, the abominable, the sorcerers, the whoremongers, all end up in hell. God is calling, as I said at the beginning, a new order in the body of Christ, where his house must start out with prayer, and the main assemblies of worship always have prayer. No pre-service prayer meetings. His house becomes a house of prayer, not of entertainment and a house where there's the fear of God and great awe, because when you really love someone, they're precious to you. You're in awe of whose presence you're in. You do not speak presumptuously before the holy presence of God. And when we have that sensitivity to God and to one another, the love of God will melt the hardness between us, and we will know a mighty baptism of his love and a unity of the faith that will bring the power of God to heal our nation and to turn multitudes into the kingdom of God. I want to share with you that I met someone that was a general in the Romanian army about maybe four years ago. I don't know, it might be longer. In a meeting where, at that time, we were having a Friday night meeting with a man, a Jewish man that had a prophetic ministry. And he came to visit in the meeting. And he came up to me after the service and said, God told me to give you this book. It was a book he wrote. And this Romanian general, I believe it was Romania, if I remember right. When he came to Christ in Romania, he was greatly persecuted, greatly persecuted, suffered a lot. But God showed him what would happen soon to the nation of Israel. And so he wrote the book on it because God gave him a vision of this happening. We are living right now in the time when that vision that he had will probably be fulfilled. So I want to explain this. We're living in the time right now, which is the beginning of the feasts of the Lord that start in September and go into October and so on. 
They are feasts that we should look at and acknowledge with great reverence and significance. Not that there's some merit or something that we must keep them or else God won't accept us. No, not that. Just that there's great spiritual significance in them. They should be always noted and celebrated. But in this time of the Feasts of Awe is also right now I saw on the 700 Club that war might break out in Israel at any moment because there's 200,000 missiles pointing towards Israel right now. Literally that many. That's not an exaggeration. That's a known fact. 200,000. They're all dead accurate. They can hit anywhere in Israel. And they're expecting them to hit at any time. Very serious in Israel right now. This general saw when those missiles came and started hitting Israel, and he saw the top general in the Israeli army or someone in a top position in the army command an atomic bomb to hit that area, and it hit that area. And when that happened, it totally wiped that all out. Then Iran comes against Israel with China. I don't know if he saw China and all that. I believe that's what I, I can see. Turkey, Iran, all coming against Israel. And there you have Ezekiel 37, 38, where in the last days, all these nations come against Israel and are destroyed. And then what does it say? Then they will know indeed who the true God is. Right now, a lot of people are worshiping a counterfeit monotheistic God or polytheistic gods. But when this happens, there's going to be multitudes that will know who the true God is. And are we as the church going to be ready for this great harvest of souls? Because all of these evil people in high places that think they're going to have a one-world government, God is going to overthrow them. Because he's going to expose through the corruption in high places to the multitudes that there must be a one true eternal God. And they are going to be ripe to be reaped. When the deliverance happens in the United States, when it happens in Canada, and the nations around the world from this corrupt authoritarian hierarchy that has brought corruption and has taken away our freedoms. When this happens, multitudes will become into the kingdom of God and there will be the harvest that is described in Revelations 14, the first harvest before the harvest of judgment where the blood comes to the horse bridles in Revelations 14. And then the Antichrist will come after that great harvest. All these people that think they're going to be the Antichrist. God that sits in the heavens shall laugh. The Lord shall have them in derision. We must wake up, church, and turn to him and seek him as never before. And never go back to being in your assemblies the way you used to be. The body must function. Your house must become a house of prayer. You must come into a life individually in holiness that is also corporately in holiness. And you know, I've given a whole lot of preaching here now and hardly got through all that's in all the other passages here. So obviously I don't have time to preach in all the other passages of Scripture. But I can at least show you what God was saying. I don't know if I got what was on. Well, yeah. I'll just leave Revelations 12 down there. 
I got 1 Corinthians 8. That's about humility and knowledge that puffs up. God's wanting his people to humble themselves and turn from all of these things. That's in relation to Luke 19 as well. Humility is an important factor. And what brings humility is the genuine fear of God that drives one to a place of humility, that drives one to a place of honesty and transparency before God, and that also drives one to a place of honesty and transparency that then in turn also drives one to a place of great humility before God. But I also want to touch on, just briefly touch on these that I received. Wednesday, the secret of loving God that brings life even from the dead and from death. Enoch walked with God and he was not. We know about Enoch, who had a close loving relationship with God, who was born again of the Spirit even before Christ died. That's another teaching I have. It explains the difference between the time after the cross and before the cross. He asked Christ expected Nicodemus before he died on the cross to know what it meant to be born of the Spirit. And Enoch was born of the Spirit. How in the world do you think he could have such a close relationship with God if he wasn't? Anyhow, that's a big teaching. I'm not going to get into that. So this is about loving God circumcision of the heart. I, I, I can't go into it all for a time. I'm just going to touch on what I received. Thursday, both of these chapters are praying for deliverance from the terrible oppression and persecution of the wicked and their hate to murder the people of God. Deliverance from the enemy that persecutes us comes with the fear of God that is non-conditional to take judgment for those that have sinned for the purpose of that in the end is on to glorifying Yahweh, the Almighty. I am talking about the fact that people are willing to stand in the gap if God calls them to, and to take the judgment. And I don't have time to preach a message on these verses. <clears throat> and so I go to Friday, which is yesterday. Psalms 57, Zechariah 12 plus Revelation 18. And I don't even have there any notes, so I, I just let you look at it because I really don't have the time. And then today, what I received, had a clear message. 1 Peter 4 and Haggai 1 plus 1 Corinthians 6 for more insight, and I've got, I always get great insight when I cast a third chapter if I need it. These chapters are a message to wake up the churches to build the spiritual temple of God in the last days as living stones for an habitation of God through the Spirit. This first requires that we live our life in the body in holiness so that God can fully indwell us, and that means corporately. But if we're not living individually in holiness, obviously when we come together, there's going to be problems and God is not going to be able to move by his spirit in the body. And so 1 Peter 4 is all about suffering in the flesh that we might cease from sin through the trials of suffering in the flesh. 
For as much then as Christ hath suffered for us in the flesh, arm yourselves likewise with the same mind. For he that has suffered in the flesh hath ceased from sin, that he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh to the lusts of men, but to the will of God. Beloved, think it not strange concerning the fiery trial, which is to try you, as though some strange thing happened to you. And when we are in trials, that's what it seems like. But rejoice inasmuch as ye are partakers of Christ's sufferings, that when his glory shall be revealed, we may be glad also with exceeding joy. If ye be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are ye, for the Spirit of God and of glory resteth on you. On their part he is evil spoken of, but on your part he is glorified. And I have had the experience of being persecuted. Even in some cases, God gave me a word for leadership and told me to give it to them. And the person just walked right up to me in the midst of a crowd of a big conference and saying, so David, what have you to say? Which was not normal at all. And I knew God wanted me to give the person this word. And, you know, he, he rebelled. He uh, belittled me, tried. I still love him and I still have a good relationship with him. He's gone on to glory and I'm sure he's in a wonderful place in heaven. But, you know, I felt God's Spirit come on me with great joy when this happened. I could feel the Spirit of God rising up because I knew I was obeying God. It has rarely happened to me. I only know of that one time. It comes to my mind. But it was very, very clear at that time. And then we have again more verses on the same. And then we have 1 Corinthians 6, 9 to 13. Know ye not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor extortioners, shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you, but ye are washed, but ye are sanctified, but ye are justified in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. Then he emphasizes it, that you that doesn't mean you can't have liberty. All things are lawful unto me, but all things are not expedient. And so what is God saying? Well, its conclusion is right here. What know ye not that your body is the temple of the Holy Ghost, which is in you, which ye have of God, and ye are not your own, for ye are bought with a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. God is calling us to live a holy life so that he can fully indwell us, so that we can walk in his presence and when we come together, see a unity that releases the greater works of his spirit in these last days and allows for the incoming of the harvest. So thank you for listening to this message and God bless you all.